Well, good morning. So good to see all of you this week and on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, I know many folks are traveling, and, and so I'm glad that you could be here. As we study the Word together, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 today. Luke 16. And I began last week, I think it was last week, I've lost track of time, uh, thinking about, I guess you could call this a series, I don't have it all mapped out, just a season of us setting our minds on things above and seeking the things that are above. And today I want us to focus our time and our minds together on some biblical truths about the big things in life and things beyond this life. In today's passage, Luke 16, we'll look at verses 19 through 31. Probably, in my estimation anyway, the most vivid portrayal in the Bible, and it comes straight from the lips of Jesus about what happens when we die, about life after death. You know, the Bible really comes at death in, from two, and in times, what happens to us beyond this life, the Bible comes at it from two different ways. One is, maybe we could call the corporate or historical perspective, meaning what are the big things that are going to happen out in the future as God brings about his final plan of redemption. We would think about things like the rapture. Uh, we would think about Jesus' return. We think about the new heavens and, and new earth. We think about the resurrection. So kind of event or corporate, the, the big picture of all of the redeemed and all of humanity. But the Bible also comes at last things, eternal things, heavenly things from a personal perspective. We think about what happens to me, what happens to you when we die. And I think that this passage is one of those that comes really at the personal perspective. And I think it's a passage that causes us, it should cause us to really take stock of life. And to think about big things. Memorial Day is about remembering. It's about specifically remembering um, those who fell in the line of military service. That gave their lives in service of the U.S. military and to us as a country. And so it's a good thing to set aside time to reflect and to remember. This weekend we should remember the high cost of liberty what it costs for all of these things that we hold dear, the way of life that we appreciate here in America. This weekend, I think we should remember the preciousness of human life and how that can be lost, that goes away. We think about the sacrifice that these men and women have made. I think that we should remember that all ideologies, all philosophies, all governments are not the same. In other words, there are thoughts, there are ideas, ideals, and governments, and people who would kill, steal, and destroy, to oppress, and to hold down, that would fight against everything that is good, and virtuous, and right in life. So, it's good to remember. The older I get, and the more I get involved in various things, the more I need reminders. <laughs> Whitney and I were talking yesterday. I was digging around in the closet, and, and there was something she said. She said, I've been trying to remember to do that. And I said, if you'll remind me, I'll do it. The problem was she can't remember to do it nor to remind me. And the bad thing is I can't even remember what we were talking about. We have a hard time remembering. And I'm not kidding. I really can't think about, I can't remember what that was. And uh, it couldn't have been anything too important. But you know what's amazing is even with the big things and important things in life, we need to remember. We need to set aside time to stop and think and to be reminded about what is important. So, this passage is good for that, to remind us about life and death in eternity as we seek to think about things that are above and things that are beyond this life. So let's read together Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read the entire uh, passage here in this story of the rich man and Lazarus found in verses 19 through 31. The Bible says this, now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, 
covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, beside even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus received bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, There is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. The first thing that stands out to me in this passage is there are two men in two paths in life described here. Two men and two paths in life described here. Now this story, and I'm not going to call it a parable. Some call it the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I don't think it's a parable. In everything that we know to be a parable of Jesus, he never uses a name. He never gives a proper name. In this story, he gives a name to one of them, to Lazarus. Jesus is in essence, I think, unveiling some things that have happened beyond things on this earth. So there are two men in this story, the rich man and Lazarus, and they've lived very different lives, two different paths in life, though their paths have converged at points. And and, and Jesus, with his descriptions, he draws out this contrast and the difference between the paths of these two men's life. The first is an economic path difference, economics. He says this, The rich man. Now, historically, uh, this man, some people have called him the name Dives, which is a translation of, it's a word used to translate rich man. So it's not a proper name, but, but sometimes you'll hear it called Dives. Rich man, obviously he was rich. And then there was Lazarus. Very different economic circumstances. Lazarus was a poor man. A rich man and a poor man, there's a difference in their clothing. It's just that the rich man, I'd never noticed this until I was studying for today. It says he habitually dressed in purple and in fine linens. Interesting. So he didn't just put on good clothes, you know, for a party or for special occasions. It was his habit, his life. It was important to him to constantly be wearing clothes that looked like royalty, the best of the best, and he was dressed in fine linen. Now, it doesn't say anything. Jesus doesn't tell us anything about the actual clothes that Lazarus was wearing, but I think the contrast is here. Here is the rich man who always dressed in the best of the best, and here is Lazarus, and you know what he's clothed in? Sores on his body and dog saliva. In other words, he has open wounds. That's what he is clothed with. And not only that, those sores, the dogs would come around and lick his wounds. It's really a a gross picture. And Jesus paints this picture for us between the difference in their economic situation, between their clothing, and also between their food. It says that Lazarus is laid there at the rich man's gate. And the rich man, his crumbs, the things that fell away from his table, the leftovers, the scraps, would have been like a feast to Lazarus. So this man has far better and far more plentiful food than Lazarus ever had. He longed just to have the scraps or the crumbs from the rich man's table. So their lives, their paths are very different. But there's one thing that they share in common, and it's here in this story, and it's death. 
Both men in the story, they die. As will every one of us. No matter how different our lives are, and the different paths that we take, they will all come to this point of death. So there is a similarity here. But listen to this. Even in death, as Jesus tells the story, there's a difference between the two men in the way that their deaths are handled. Jesus says this, that the rich man was buried. But Lazarus was carried away by angels. And I think that the implication, the insinuation that Jesus has here is, hey, the rich guy had the finest burial and funeral that money could buy. Paid mourners, I'm sure. He was all decked out, you know, before he was laid in the tomb. But he says nothing about Lazarus actually having a funeral. I think the insinuation is this. Nobody saw. Nobody cared. There was no money to bury him. It's very likely that his body was just thrown in the city dump. I think that's what Jesus is insinuating here. And so by most people's measure, we, that we would say, man, the rich man lived a very blessed life. And Lazarus, what an accursed, pitiable, pitiful life that he lived by most, most men's measure. But the second part of this story is the description of the two men and their two places in death. They lived very different lives on earth. Both died, and now we see the two places that they occupy in death. At verse 22, this story takes a dramatic turn, really a reversal of fortunes, if you will. And it says this, the rich man was buried. He was buried by human hands. But Lazarus, in his death, was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. Jesus says that angels actually carried the spirit, the soul of Lazarus to his place of comfort, to Abraham's bosom. Have you ever thought about that? The idea that in death, for a believer, that God would send angels to carry your spirit or your soul to your eternal destiny. I'd never thought about that before until Whitney's grandfather's funeral. And a, a wonderful preacher uh, preached that funeral. And I remember him in the most dramatic and vivid terms talking about what God did when Papa Dale died. How he dispatched angels to go to the very bedside and to wait for the body to give up the spirit. And he talked about how the angels would have lifted the spirit and accompanied him to his eternal destiny. And I'm sitting there going, I've never heard this before. And I'm scratching my head. I'm thinking, this is very comforting. Is this heresy? Could this be real? And I begin to search the scriptures. This is probably the clearest scripture that would indicate that God sends angels to accompany the spirit to our eternal destiny destiny. You could look also at Hebrews 1.14 that says that angels actually are ministering spirits sent by God to those who are inheritors of salvation. You could look at Psalm 91.11. Maybe the inference is there. It says he will give his angels a charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. You know, one of the, the things about death is this. It seems so lonely. And forsaken. To me, that's, that's the way it seems. That we have been in the company of our family and loved ones and all kinds of people in our community, in our church, our whole life. But in this moment, no one can do anything for you. You are alone. But God cares. The Bible says that precious in the sight of God is the death of one of his saints. Do you think that God just says, well, hope you can figure out the way. No, no, no. He sends his heavenly messengers to minister to us in that moment of death. And to me, I don't know why, but that brings me great comfort. I think that's what the Bible teaches. But here's the question. It says that, that angels actually carried Lazarus. Now, it could be that Lazarus was a lame man. 
And, and it's a picture here. But I think that's what the Bible's telling us actually happens. But what about the rich man? Did angels accompany him in his death? It, it doesn't say so. In fact, that's a contrast in the passage. Is there any, any indication that also for the lost person, that angels are involved in transporting the soul or the spirit to their eternal destiny. I think it's possible, and I would base that on Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Though Jesus is talking about what happens in the final, the end, the judgment, where there is separation between God's people and the unrighteous. He actually says in that sifting that the Son of Man will send angels out at the end of the age to gather out of his kingdom the lawless and to cast them into the furnace of fire. So it's very likely for all who die, but I think it's clear here that for the saints, that God sends ministering spirits, angels, to be with us in that transition from this life into our eternal destiny. But that's not the point of this story, really. It's about how we get there. It's not about the journey, but what is vividly highlighted are the two different destinations, the places in the afterlife that are described here. One is called Abraham's bosom and one is called Hades, neither of which are the traditional ways that we think. We think about heaven and we think about hell. Not that that's wrong, but Jesus says here, Abraham's bosom and Hades. What is Abraham's side or his bosom? Does this indicate that somehow Abraham is the star, the rock star of the afterlife for those who believe no I don't think that's it at all I think what's being conveyed here is that he uh, Abraham really for the Jewish people he was emblematic of the person who has faith right that's what Abraham is he is the father of the faithful and for the Jewish person who thought about father Abraham they would think here is a man of true and abiding faith, no matter what came to him in life, he seemed to continue to believe. And the Bible says that Abraham was counted righteous by his faith. So Abraham, I think, when it says Abraham's bosom, you're thinking about this is the place where the people of faith go in the afterlife. I think that's the simplest way to think about it. But also to think about sweet fellowship. Lazarus went to be with great, 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 great grandfather Abraham. This icon of faith. Lazarus was a man of faith. Obviously because he went to the place where the faithful go beyond this life. He went into the fellowship of the saints, if you will. The sweet fellowship of those who will worship God forever and be in his very presence. And in that place... Here is Lazarus whose body is covered with sores, has lived a horrible existence, and we see him at Abraham's bosom, and his pain is comforted. It is gone. The sufferings of this life, and he had to have had many, they're alleviated. It says that he was comforted. That's where Lazarus goes, to Abraham's bosom, a place where the faithful go beyond this life, a place where everything is made right, where there is comfort and alleviation of all of the things that have plagued us in this life. But the rich man doesn't go there. He goes to Hades. Now, Hades is a reference to the place of the dead. That, that's in general what it means. Sometimes it can be merely understood as just the grave. So in that way, sometimes there are, you'll find passages that speak about Hades as the place where all the dead go. But I will tell you, in many passages, if you study that word through the New Testament, you get an indication pretty much we're not talking about just a neutral place, a place where everyone goes. No, no. This is a different place where there's a chasm fixed between Abraham's bosom and it. I think that we could think about it as being hell. It's not the final hell that's described at the end of the book of Revelation, which is a thing that is still yet to come future, but it is the precursor to that. So I will give you a reference, Matthew 11. You can look up Capernaum's judgment, and Jesus talks about Hades in contrast with heaven. So it's not heaven. It's not the place of the faithful, but it's not just neutrally the grave. No, we're talking about something far different that's contrasted with heaven, there's a negative association also in Matthew 16, 18. You'll be familiar with this where Jesus tells Peter the gates of Hades or hell 
will not prevail against you. So it's the idea that that is where wickedness is. That's where Satan's realm is or that kind of thing. So that's where the rich man has gone in his death to Hades. And listen, folks, even if the term Hades is a bit vague, if you look at all the ways it's used in the Bible, it is not vague at all here. I'll point you to three things that are described here of the rich man's existence in Hades in the afterlife. The first one is in verse 28. The rich man describes his eternal destiny as a place of torment. He is afflicted and tormented in his being. So by the rich man's own words, this is a place of torment. If you back up and look at verse 24, he describes it as a place of flames and agony. Now, people wonder whether we should take the idea of flames in hell literally or not. And I would say literally or not, it is a terrible place. And what is being described is agony and torment of the person. It is not a, a good place. There is suffering there, personal suffering. And the other thing that strikes me about this idea of Hades, where the rich man is now in Jesus' story is that it's personal or very real. Because we can think about, well, that's my spirit. It can't really be too bad. He describes, the rich man in this story describes Hades in very real terms, even in embodied terms. And look at what he says. He says, bring me a drip or a drop of water to cool my tongue. In other words, there's not a sense of, oh, I'm just a spirit floating around here. No, no, no. This seems very real as personal and physical as anything in life. And he says, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to come and cool my tongue. And so it's a place of torment, of agony, and a very, very real thing for those who suffer it. And you think, my goodness, why is this rich man in Hades? When you read this story, the simplest thing to do is jump to a conclusion that rich people go to hell... Poor, suffering people go to heaven. Or Hades in Abraham's bosom. Could that be the case? I don't think so. In fact, I could say unequivocally, no. Because Abraham was a very rich man. And he's not in Hades. Abraham had great wealth. Lots of stuff. Amassed, I mean, very successful. Very and blessed by God, if you will. And he is not in Hades. So it's not about money. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about a life of selfishness on the rich man's part. It's a sinful life. A life that is far from God, has no love or no concern for our human brothers and sisters. What's evident in this story is that Abraham knew Lazarus very well. Right? He didn't just say, hey, send some guy. He said, hey, would you send Lazarus? He knew him by name. The story also says that Lazarus actually in his life was laid at the rich man's gate. Imagine if, well, in fact, well, imagine if every day when you came home, there at your mailbox... Assuming you have a mailbox, if you have a post office box, let's just say right there at the foot of your driveway, there was a person in great torment and suffering. It was a person you knew by name. Actually, it was a kinfolk. Both sons of Abraham. Covered in wounds. Nasty old mutts licking their wounds. They have no clothing. And you're pulling up to a mansion in your Rolls Royce. And every day, you drive by. And before you get to that place, you roll up the window and say, man, that guy stinks. And you drive by. You hit the pedal, not the brake. Every day you did that. In any way, does that seem loving or right or like God or like our heart is right? Of course not. We know. This man knew Lazarus. I tell you what. This rich man, he also had a very clear sense of right and wrong, of, of good, of compassion. How do we know that? Because when he goes to Hades and he is in torment, what is the first thing he does? 
He cries out for relief, for compassion, and for help. Ah, my tongue is burning. He is feeling probably, in some measure, a lot what Lazarus felt every day of his life. Probably worse. We would assume worse. But what does he want? He wants compassion. And he knows that it's good and godly and right to give compassion to those who are in need. And so he cries out, help me. Send him to help me. So he knew that it was right, yet he lived wrong. He did not in his life practice what was good, righteous, and loving and the ways of God, even though he knew them. Folks, I'll tell you, here's a simple boiled down term for that. It's living a life of sin. Sin is rebellion against God's ways. Sin is hatefulness. Sin is self-consumption. He lived an unrighteous life. He is not in Hades because of his money. He's in Hades because of his wicked, unrighteous sin and life and heart. He's in Hades because he obviously never did two things. He never repented of sin in this life and he never trusted God. He lacked repentance and faith, which are the hallmarks of biblical salvation. He never turned from his wickedness. How do I know that? Am I just assuming that? No. You see, in the story, when he figures out that there's this chasm fixed and he can't get any relief, what does he do? He says, but would you send Lazarus then to my five brothers? Why? Because they have not repented. And he says, maybe if someone rises from the dead and tells them about this place of torment, they will what? repent. They will do what I never did. I never repented but maybe they will. And he never exercised faith in God. How do I know? Well, repentance and faith go together number one. But the other thing is because he's not there at Abraham's bosom where the faithful go beyond this life. So he never exercised. Listen folks we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The difference it's whether we repent and believe and receive the salvation that God offers. You know, I needed a reminder this morning, and I do remember this one. We're singing the first song, and those words help me to remember something that I didn't put in this sermon that needs to be said. And that is, I asked the question, and I found out why is the rich man in Hades. But a great question is, why is, the, why is Lazarus? in what we could loosely call paradise or heaven or in Abraham's bosom. How did he get there? And I'll tell you how he got there. Solely by the mercy and grace and compassion of God. Man, I'll tell you what. God is forgiving and compassionate. He is so good. And no, it, I'll tell you, I missed it. In this story, I missed it. Lazarus, he had no money. I guarantee you he's not there because of his philanthropy. He probably didn't go around doing great works. It appears that he couldn't even care for himself. People were caring for him. People wouldn't even probably get very close to him. He obviously didn't have very many people that cared for him who were true friends. Probably could have been a leper. I don't know. I'll tell you what, it wasn't by anything that he did. It wasn't by his own prowess and works. Because you could read this story and get to thinking, man, I, I, we get to heaven by our works, right? By giving away money. Lazarus didn't have any. I'll tell you how he got there. The grace and the mercy of God. All salvation is by God's grace and mercy towards sinners who do this who get to the point of Lazarus, who say, God, I have nothing to offer except my repentance. I, I have nothing worthy that can get me there. And God says, you're right. But I want to bring you there. I want to make you right and make you whole and save your soul. That's why Lazarus, because we have to take the rest of the teaching of the Bible Lazarus got to heaven the same way anybody gets to heaven. That's by repentance and faith in God's salvation. And we know it most clearly. See, the Old Testament saints, and I would put Lazarus there, 
the Old Testament saints, they looked forward to how God would provide that salvation, but they were still believing by faith that he would do it. And we look back and we say, God did it by sending Jesus, his son. So listen, folks, two men, two very different paths in life, two different places they occupied in death. Another commonality, though, is they both had one lifetime that decided their eternal destiny. Both had days to live and to decide what they would do in response to God's grace. God gives us, I'm convinced, many chances, but I don't know how many, but here's what I know. God gives us one lifetime. One lifetime to choose to either trust him or trust ourselves and trust a different way. To love him or to hate him. To believe on him or to not believe. To repent from sin or continue in our sin. To be restored. He gives us one lifetime. Many chances for most of us. But then there's a point when life is over and the door for repentance and faith closes. And I'll tell you, by our own sin and rebellion and persistence and hard-heartedness, when that door closes, if we have not accepted God's salvation, our destiny will be like the rich man's in Hades. Or we can fall on the mercy of God Almighty and receive this beautiful gift of salvation like Lazarus did, saying, I have nothing to bring but myself, a repentant heart, and my belief. I was on my way to the hospital this last Tuesday. Many of y'all know this story. And, and uh, you know, I'd gotten a, a text from the doctor midday Tuesday. said, you're going to have to go to the hospital. You've got an infection. It's not going to get knocked with anything else. He talked about, you know, toxins from this spider bite and this infection could get in my blood. And he said, you know, we're going to have to do something a little more serious. So I get that uh, text and uh, he says, I was doing all right. And I told Whitney, I was like, man, I need a vacation. So this would be great. And uh, <laughs> until he says something about, I'm trying to get a hold of a surgeon. I'm like, hey, whoa, hey, hey, whoa. What's going on? And so the compounding of all of these things, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I was pretty rattled. And, and I think Betty was up here. They were doing the prayer list. And her and Sheila knew it because they didn't leave me. I, I must have been acting like a real chicken. So all the way up there, you know, finally he says, come to, to Branson, the Cox. And I tell you, that's a long drive. Uh, and w alone with your thoughts. And uh, Whitney was going to come up and bring my stuff. And, and uh, I, I was thinking about, what was I thinking about on the way there? I was thinking, stupid spiders. I can't believe a spider, a little bite of a little bug that I didn't even notice can knock me down and ruin my schedule and, and uh, impact my life this much. And thanks to my doctor's grim prognoses, <laughs> yes, I was being a drama queen. I'm not going to lie, okay? I mean, at one point he's like, you know, that infection could be rotting your skull. And I was like, no LOL, no emoji with that. Are you serious? And, and I, I didn't know how much to really buy into all that. But without a smiley face emoji or a ha-ha, I'm like, oh no. I could be terribly disfigured by this. I mean, at one point I'm like, I mean, I could die from this stupid thing. Maybe, again, maybe drama queen. But hey, listen, it was where I was at. I was thinking, I can't believe this. What if I never get out of that hospital? And I start thinking, I wonder what it's like to die. So I hadn't prepared this sermon at that point, you know. Thinking, what, what, what about the moment of death? I wonder if the people in that hospital have thought much about death and what comes in that moment after you die. I wonder if they're ready. And I thought, have I lived my life well? <clears throat> have I focused on the right things? Or have I frittered away time and money and, and energies on things that really don't matter? I thought, am I ready to 
give an account to Jesus for my life. I, I thought about this. Am I trusting in Jesus today? Do I really believe? This is where the rubber meets the road. Do I actually believe what the Bible teaches? That there is something beyond death that every one of us will experience. And do I understand and do I believe what the Bible teaches about how we can be ready to face death and enter into God's reward rather than to the punishment of the unrighteous? Am I ready? And at some point, you know, I'm just like, do, do I believe that? Do I believe what the Bible says? Do I believe that I'm ready? And a peace came over my heart. Yes. I believe this is true. This is what the Bible teaches. There is no better answer. God confirmed some things in my heart. And so my next thought was, I wonder where I can stop for supper. Because they ain't going to feed me in there coming in at 7. And I, I'm no kidding. It was just like... So, of course, Chick-fil-A. You go to a Christian place, you know, when you're facing death, you go to get Christian chicken and, a, and waffle fries. My room wasn't ready, so I had time to burn, you know. And I tell you, it, it's funny to go into Chick-fil-A with a perspective of, I could be dying right now. I'm like, what do I order? I'll take one of everything. Zip, credit card. <laughs> no, 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 I, I didn't really... Because I thought, if I eat too much, I'm going to pay for that probably when I get there. But uh, I tell you, I, here, here's kind of, as I'm pondering my Chick-fil-A, I'm meditating over my chicken sandwich, and I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I wonder about in the afterlife. I, a lot of things I don't know. But I tell you, here's what I've discovered. I, I do know enough. I know Jesus, who is the way. And so I said this sermon is entitled Here, Some Things to Remember. Some things to remember from this passage. Some important reminders for us. I've got three of them real quickly. Number one, remember eternity. Don't get so caught up in the day-to-day -day things that you forget that one day we will all face God and give an accounting to our Creator for our lives. We will give an accounting for all that he's given us and what we did with it. And I'll tell you this, when I think about the rich man, it makes me remember that in eternity, all the riches of this world don't mean a hill of beans. You can't bribe God and you can't secure your eternity through riches. You can only do it through Jesus. All of that that rich man had, you know what? He could not even buy a drop of water. So remember eternity. Number two, this is really important. Remember the importance of loving others. Central to this story is a rich man whose callous heart is shown to be totally in polar diametric opposition to the heart of God. He had no clue about God's love as evidenced by his lack of love and concern for others. His heart was far from God. As I'm making that drive up there and I'm just thinking, have I loved people well? Have I loved my family well? Have I loved my church well? Have I loved the lost well? In that moment where you're not really sure, you, you know, you, you've come face to face with death, you know you're going to face it. You go, a lot of the stuff that I worry about it's not the important thing. I'll tell you what's important to God. It's not our purple clothing and fine linens. It's not our sumptuous feasts. It's people. For God so loved the world. God loves people. Do we as God's people love one another? I'll tell you, and I need to say thank you right here. Man, I was really overwhelmed by so many calls from you guys and ladies and texts people checking on me throughout. One of my first days in the hospital, it took me three hours to do the text messaging all in one block. And someone said, sorry to bother you. I'm like, no bother. I have nothing to do. Please text me some more. And uh, I didn't say that. But, but here's the deal. Man, I, you know, when, when we're in a, a place 
that's a little different or, or whatever, something's going on in our life, people have a huge impact in ministering to us. So I, let me just say thank you. I felt so loved laying in that hospital. I thought, yeah, man, that is, that's what the church is to be all about. Caring for one another. So thank you for being that kind of church. Let's continue. And I'll tell you, you inspire me. Because sometimes I get to looking at all those things, you know, checking people in the hospital is like a to-do list and I forget. We're talking about just loving people. So thank you for doing that. Be reminded to continue to love people. That's what's important to the heart of God. Number three, last one. Remember Christ's resurrection. You know, a bit of irony in this story is this. When the rich man says, Hey, send Lazarus. Raise him from the dead. Send him to my brothers. So they'll repent and believe. He says, they've already got the Old Testament. You know, they got Moses. they got the scriptures. They're not believing that. What makes you think they're going to believe? In fact, they won't believe. Even, he says, if someone rises from the dead. And of course, a few days, months later, another guy, a different Lazarus, Jesus raises him from the dead. And the Jewish people that stood in opposition to Jesus, some believed, but you know what? Some persisted in their unbelief. But Jesus actually has defeated death and the grave. And he promises for those of us who trust him, we will follow in his wake. We will be eternally alive and experience an abundant life that no eye, no ear, no imagination can figure out. It's going to be something amazing. We have clues, but we don't know the half of it. Could I say this to you today? Remember the resurrection. If today you're facing sickness, grim prognoses, you're facing your own mortality for whatever reason, you're facing pain, you're maybe, you know, this guy Lazarus, I wonder how many years he put up with crippling sores. Maybe his entire life. The resurrection of Jesus, the hope of Lazarus is beyond this life. Every bit of the curse of sin and our pain will be alleviated. And we will be rewarded with God's best in eternity. Beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, is a resurrected Jesus. So as you face hardship, and it doesn't come automatically. Sometimes you've got to take that long drive and you've got to get some Chick-fil-A chicken and you've got to get your Bible and you've got to dig down in your soul and, and you've got to remember. Remember the promises of God to you. The promise of eternal hope. Man, it's powerful to change a perspective. It's powerful to change a life. Would you bow with me today? Father, I thank you that you have called me to this congregation of Christians and that together we minister to one another. We remind each other of the goodness, of the grace, of the love that comes from God and flows through us. I thank you that you've specially gifted this congregation with certain gifts of encouragement and just coming alongside in practical ways, help us to do that more and more to exhibit the love of God to others. Lord, I pray today that you would remind us deep in our souls and in our minds of the beauty of the enduring promise of eternity. And Lord, I pray for any here today that you would work in their hearts if they have not yet come to the place of repentance and trust in Jesus, accepting your salvation as a gift of grace, a gift of compassion and mercy. Lord, show them the beauteous glory of that treasure and work in them the gift of salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today before John comes, we're going to do our birthday and anniversary uh, uh, celebrations and a few announcements. But if you're here today and you've never gotten your eternity settled, 
could I invite you, as I did last week, to please come see me. Let me walk through that process with you, to pray with you, to show you. Uh, we can study the scriptures together to answer any questions you have. This is the most important thing that you could ever do. Get your eternity settled. Amen? All right, John, you come. Hopefully you had a chance to pick up a bulletin this morning. Uh, do uh, Thank you for all being here this morning to worship with us. And those who have been watching online, invite you to uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram uh, as well. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, in front of you should be a card in the Bible. Uh, if you wouldn't mind filling that out. It's also a great place if you have a prayer request or if you'd like more information about the church. Uh, you can mark that on there as well. We have an offering box that sits on the counter out there in the foyer. And you can just slip that in there on your way out uh, as well. Uh, just a few announcements this morning. Um, one that didn't quite make it is we are still looking for two people to serve in Children's Church and two more people to serve in our preschool Sunday school. Uh, the Children's Church is uh, one Sunday a month uh, during our worship time after the song part. And then uh, also our uh, preschool Sunday school, uh, you serve for six weeks and then you're off for 12 weeks and it goes in a, a rotation like that. We are currently doing that in our uh, children's uh, uh, children's Sunday school class. So uh, please consider serving. Uh, please pray about that as we are uh, really wanting to get that going and needing volunteers uh, for that as well. Uh, a few other things. This coming Wednesday night, we do not have a meal this coming Wednesday night as there's no children's activities. Uh, the youth, uh, the weather seems to be looking better. There'll be a bonfire and cookout at my house for the youth. And uh, whether you want to drive yourselves, uh, parents can drop you off uh, or you can uh, drive the church van. Uh, the van will be leaving here about 515 if you are riding the church van, there's a permission slip that needs to be filled out. And those permission slips are just on the side of that other wall uh, with a picture that looks just like what's in here in the bulletin. Uh, you can pick one of those up, fill it out. Uh, Matt and Amy uh, will be driving the church vans this Wednesday night uh, for that. And then they'll be back at 730. Uh, if you have any questions, my phone number is in the bulletin as well as my email. And uh, you can uh, contact me and I'll get you uh, my, my address as well if I didn't put in the in the bulletin, but, um, but looking forward to doing that uh, this coming Wednesday night at our house. Uh, also, we have a lock-in coming up. If you'd like to volunteer, if you have nothing to do and you want to stay up all night with teenagers. Anybody? Anybody? See that children's, uh, that preschool sounding a whole lot better, isn't it? Um, but we do have a lock-in coming, uh, coming up here. It's June 11th. cost is $10. Those permission slips are also on the other side of the other wall. There's three other churches plus our plus our church, and we will be having that lock-in here. Uh, like, the school's out, uh, lock-in, nothing like 7 p.m., 7 a.m., uh, having a lot of fun. So uh, the other thing is we do have a camp meeting. Uh, we have 19 going to camp total this, uh, this summer in the, our last meeting with all the paperwork is June 16th, and uh, it'll be at 7.30 upstairs. Uh, like I said, no meal ministry and no uh, kids ministry tonight, but then Summer Stars will start up uh, the week after. And uh, so looking forward to that. If you are willing to help, uh, we've had uh, just a couple people volunteer to help with that in addition to our current uh, people who are heading that up. And if you wouldn't mind, even if it's just one or two weeks at a time, uh, that would really alleviate and help uh, to spread that out over the summer uh, as well. And uh, Vacation Bible School is at the end of July, and that sign-up sheet is in the foyer as well. And um, we've got a lot going on this summer so far. And then two more things, a new members class. Uh, if you want to know more about our church, uh, who we are, what we believe, that's a great place to go to. If you're interested in joining our church, uh, that's also a great place to go to. You can kind of learn who we are, ask questions. Uh, Brother Sean and I uh, lead that, and so invite you uh, to do that. So uh, the sign-up sheet is also on the board uh, out there in the, in the foyer. And then our uh, podcast, uh, you can see the May topics and June topics and uh, Spotify or SoundCloud opportunity for uh, y'all to uh, participate in that and uh, listen to that and uh, really encouraging. Uh, we have uh, anywhere from high school student to uh, Brother Sean and several other people who's, uh, who talk uh, about faith in these topics. And so it's an opportunity as well. I think that's all the uh, information I have. This coming Wednesday night, we do have our family Bible study. I believe it's the last week for that, correct, for that Bible study. Um, and then a uh, prayer meeting uh, will be here. So 
Uh, with that, each, at the end of each month, we recognize our birthdays and anniversaries for the month. And if you do uh, want to give, you can. That money goes to the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home. Uh, you can come up and do that. You can stand where you're at and uh, shout out your birthday and anniversary. Or you can be like, I don't want any attention on me and just sit there and keep it to yourself. So we have a, we have a few, right? A few. And so if it is your birthday or anniversary, uh, we invite you at this time. Maddox finally hit the big one six today. Everybody stay off the sidewalks. <laughs> that joke never gets old. Birthday and anniversary. Birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. 93. 93. No way. On to 100. On to 100. Anniversary. Anniversary. 40? 4? 40 years. It feels like 4. Birthday. 69. Birthday, 10 less. Birthday, 10 less. That would be 59. I'm not so good at that math stuff. So... Uh, happy birthday and anniversary to everybody. Boy, it's a busy, busy month. So we have a lot of stuff going on this summer. I invite you to participate in that. And uh, please join me, as, uh, join me as, uh, standing with me as we dismiss in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we're, the, we're just so, uh, so grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather, Lord, as it is Memorial Day weekend. And the men and women who have sacrificed their lives uh, to defending uh, the freedom of people around the world to defend our freedom that allows us to gather openly like we do this morning to open our Bibles, to read, to pray. Lord, may we never take that for granted, uh, those freedoms we have, nor the people uh, that have given their lives uh, for us, Lord. This message this morning, the reminder uh, of how precious life is and your desire for us to have a relationship with you in this life, uh, Lord, that we would have and spend eternity with you as you are God, you are a creator, uh, you have sacrificed yourself uh, that we would have a relationship with you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.